Hello, and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman continues his series, The Gospel of John. Today's message is titled, Stickable Faith. First, our scripture reading, followed by an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. Today's scripture reading is from John 6, 63-71. Jesus said to them, The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. God bless the reading of his word. You know, a characteristic of our age is the celebrity deconversion story. Somebody who was once an influential Christian speaker or Christian musician decides that they no longer believe and they post it on Instagram, or they tell about it on a YouTube video, or they write a book about it. And with the same evangelistic zeal they once used to communicate the message of Christ, they explain to their listeners and followers why they're no longer a follower of Christ. My prayer is that immediately after you hear some professor tell her class why she is no longer a believer, Immediately after you uh, watch some YouTube influencer explain why he has walked away from the faith, my prayer is that you will hear the voice of Jesus say, will you leave me too? Uh, We are in a series through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings uh, here at Hillcrest in 2021, and today we just come to the next passage of Scripture, and it includes the saddest verse in all the Bible. We read, from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That's in John 6, 66. Whether that's a coincidence or not, I don't know. But Jesus replies back to this, if you notice. He saw the crowds leaving him and he turned to his own apostles and he said, you don't want to leave me too, do you? Now, I don't want you to think of Jesus asking that in some sort of whiny neediness. On the other hand, he wasn't unemotional. He wasn't indifferent to the answer to that question because his apostles meant something to him. And he's not indifferent to your answer to that question because you mean something to him as well. In surveys of favorite Christian worship songs, Almost always at the top of the list, there is a 260-year-old song by a guy named Robert Robinson. It's the song we began with in our service this morning, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And one of the reasons that is so often for many of us a favorite 
is because of its honesty about the vulnerability and the spiritual struggle that we sometimes have with the faith. One of Robinson's stanzas began, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We all recognize our own proneness to wander, our own weakness spiritually. How can we develop then a more stickable faith? According to this passage of Scripture that Amy read to us, there are four things that we need to grasp in order to have a more stickable faith. So find a pen or a pencil or your sermon notes. You can find them printed for you in the bulletin you received when you came in today. Or whether you're here or online, you can find our sermon notes in our online bulletin. And let's write these things down as we come to them. First of all, faith sticks when you confirm the significance of what you have. Faith sticks when you confirm the significance of what you have. You know, if I misplaced a water bottle at my house, I'd walk around to the various places I could have left it behind, but I wouldn't search too long for it. On the other hand, if I misplaced my smartphone, I would keep looking and keep looking until I finally found it. My phone is more significant to me than a water bottle. How significant is your faith to you? Look at verse 63. Jesus said, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. I want you to circle the word spirit on your notes. This is a reference to the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God in you. Where the spirit is, God is. The spirit is your source of wisdom, your source of power, your source of peace, your source of joy, your source of steadfastness. All the things that make life work and all the things that make life worthwhile. And Jesus says it was in his words that you would find the life-giving spirit. Think about the words of Jesus, words about the character of God, words about how to have healthy human relationships, words about how to have a good marriage, words about how to overcome worry, words about how his death on the cross would save us, words about his promised return, words about heaven. There's nothing trivial in any of those subjects, and all of those subjects are found in the words of Jesus. And Jesus said that those who reflect on his words and take them to heart will find the living presence of Jesus within them. You know, in, in the middle of a lesson, sometimes a high school teacher will see a student raise his hand and he says, will this be on the test? And you know usually what that means. The high school student is saying, if it's not on the test, I don't plan to study for it because it doesn't feel very significant to me. I wonder if that isn't some of the reason why sometimes those who at first profess faith in Jesus eventually walk away from faith in Jesus because they don't find it worthwhile. They don't find his words significant. Maybe we were raised going to church. Our moms brought us to vacation Bible school, saw to it that we got signed up for youth camp and so on. But when we moved into adulthood, we began to wonder if the words of Jesus were all that significant for making life work. In fact, it seemed like the words of Jesus and the priority of Jesus maybe got in the way of the things that we thought would make life worthwhile for us. And so, as verse 66 puts it, they turned back and no longer followed him. And that could be a statement for some of us as well. But faith sticks when you confirm the significance of the things that you have. If you'll read his words 
carefully, if you'll get together with other people who want to study those words, if you will wrestle with those things that you find objectionable or hard about Jesus' words, if you do that, Jesus says, you will find the Spirit, you will find the living presence of Christ uh, developing in you with all the peace and the joy and the confidence that comes with that. Your faith sticks when you find your faith significant. Write the second thing down. Faith sticks when you confirm the singularity of what you have. Now we speak of something as singular when we're thinking about something that is unique and one of a kind. It can't be found just anywhere and everywhere. And Simon Peter regarded the words of Jesus like that. When Jesus turned from those departing crowds and asked his disciples, his apostles, will you leave me too? It was Simon Peter, as he so often did, who spoke up for the group. And we read in verse 68, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, many who leave Jesus, like I said, lose the significance of his words. But there are others who still find the words of Jesus significant, at least the parts of Jesus' words that they can agree with. But they don't find them singular. In other words, they don't find them unique or one of a kind. They don't find anything, at least that they agree with about Christianity, that couldn't be found in any other world religion or even any of the insightful and wise teachings of people who aren't particularly religious. Now, the reality is, as we go through a study of the words of people who aren't particularly religious or the words of other religious leaders, we do find things that are praiseworthy. We do find things that are wise and, and reasonable to look at. Uh, Christianity never tells us that we're to uh, not find any worth or value in anything anybody else ever says. But we do need to recognize the singularity, the one-of-a-kind uniqueness of Jesus and his promises and the direction that he wants us to live our life. You know, I think for a number of people, the journey out of Christianity has gone something like this. They say, you know, I, I once believed in Jesus when I was little, when my parents took me to church and so on, but then I went to college, or then I got into the workforce, and, and I found how diverse this big world is. And I found all these people who had different religions and other people who didn't have any religion at all and people with different sexual preferences and different attitudes toward politics. And I just can't maintain that sort of narrow-minded understanding of things that I first learned when I was a child in Sunday school. But here's what you're doing when you do that. You are taking this centuries-old global faith and you are judging it, evaluating it through the narrow slit of your childhood experience. I want you to think about this. It may well be the case that you, when you were growing up and even when you were in a youth group, were largely involved with people who believed like you believed. And you were involved in activities that gave you the same understanding of faith that your parents were trying to reflect for you in the house. Uh, that may be the case, but that's not the way Christianity began 2,000 years ago. Christianity began in a Greek and Roman culture far more diverse than your diverse world today, with people who had a lot of different religious understandings, people had a lot of different understandings of what was right and wrong about sex and what was right and wrong about pursuing success and so on. And nevertheless, they saw in Jesus something that was unique and singular and one of a kind, and they clung to it 
like a drowning man clings to a life raft when it is thrown to him. In today's passage, Simon Peter says, Jesus, you ask if we're going to leave you like others have had. Where else could we go? Only you have the complete and completely true picture of God, his character, his plans, his promises. You and you alone have the words of eternal life. Now, I recognize that there are folks who feel like understanding the singularity of Jesus and his words might lead to an intolerance of other views and other religions. And just for the sake of time, I would just simply tell you that I preached on this subject back in the fall in a, in a subject with a, a sermon with the question, does Christianity lead to an intolerance of other beliefs? And there's a link for that on your sermon notes. You can look at that and listen to that in greater length this afternoon. But for now, you've written two things in your notes. Faith sticks when you confirm the significance of what you have and when you confirm the singularity of what you have. Here's the third thing I want you to write down. Faith sticks when you confirm the source of what you have. The, the significance of Christianity and the singularity of Christianity is because of the source of Christianity. So Jesus asked, will you leave me too? Simon Peter, like I said, where else should we go? You have the words of eternal life. Look at verse 69. He says, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. The significance of Christianity and the singularity of Christianity is because of the source of Christianity. That title, the Holy One of God, expresses Simon Peter's belief that Jesus was and is the Messiah, that long-awaited promised one of the Old Testament who would be the hinge on which the door of human history turns. He would be the supreme representative of all that God had promised and all that God had planned for this world. Simon Peter was declaring that in this verse. Now, as long as you believe in Jesus in those terms, you're not likely to walk away from him. When you see him as the Holy One of God, you're not likely to walk away from him. And that's why church involvement is so important. Now, Jesus commanded that we be involved in a church his apostles commanded that we be involved in a church. So being involved in a church is an act of obedience, but it's also an act of making your faith more stickable. And that's why I, as a pastor, I worry when I see somebody with a loosening connection to any sort of church, because what eventually develops, almost inevitably, is a loosening connection to Jesus as their Savior. People don't leave a church because they have quit believing in Jesus. More often than not, they leave their involvement with a church. They have a loosening connection to other people in a church. And over time, they find themselves not really connected to Jesus any more than just to a name from old stories. Now, why is that? It makes perfect sense why that's the case. I mean, you think about our culture today. Where else other than a church, a Bible-believing gospel church, are you going to get anything that comes close to the description of Jesus that you find in the Bible? You're going to get some vague idea that there is a higher power if you're in a 12-step group. Uh, you're going to get some vague idea that there's a God overseeing it all if you listen to some of the lectures from uh, people who are involved in political nationalism. You're, you're going to get some vague idea of uh, the fact that there is a God and maybe a heaven to go to by listening to a country music song. You're going to get something like that, but you're not going to get 
the robust understanding of Jesus that we see in the Bible anywhere else in our culture anymore than within a church. Now, I don't think we realize how malleable we are as human beings. And you go throughout your week, you go throughout your life, and you are constantly being molded, constantly being shaped by podcasts and by YouTube videos and by writings and by uh, conversations with your friends and by listening to the people talk about politics on the talking head shows and so on. And, And over and over again, we are being molded and shaped. Now, it's hard enough to be able to maintain our understanding of Jesus by coming just one or two hours a week in the midst of those hours and hours of this shaping, discipling process that our culture has over us. It's hard enough to counter that just with one or two hours in a church, but when you're not involved in that at all, there comes a time where you have this waning understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus can be for you and uh, what he did to save you and what he's going to do to bring you to himself and how he's going to reform this world and so on. It's only in a church where you are going to hear this biblical understanding of Jesus like we find it in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You hold a view like that? You continue to get yourself exposed to an understanding of Jesus like that and you're unlikely to walk away from him because you recognize the source of that which is so significant and that which is so singular in Christianity. It's important that we grasp these things and I use that word grasp uh, very intentionally. It's when we grasp this truth about Jesus that, we're, that we'll stick with him. I want you to notice all four points on this outline use the word confirm. Faith sticks when you confirm certain things about your faith. It's important to read about Jesus. It's important to listen to people talk about Jesus like I'm doing right now. But you've got to confirm these things for yourself. You've got to read about these things and weigh out the evidence and draw some some conclusions about these things yourself. I like how Simon Peter put it. He said, Lord, We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, those words believe and know are used interchangeably in the Bible. But when they're used together in the same sentence, like they're used here, it seems like Simon Peter is is saying something like this. He is saying, we've come to believe this, but not only believe it, we've come to experience it. We've come to think through it and, and, and understand the implications of it and grasp it, confirm it. And so those are the things that we need to do as well. We need to confirm certain things about our faith, and our faith will more likely stick. And that leads me to the last thing I want you to write down. Faith sticks when you confirm the security of what you have. So faith sticks when you confirm the significance of what you have, and the singularity of what you have, and the source of what you have, and faith sticks when you confirm the security of what you have. When Simon Peter said, we've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God, Jesus' response is both an approval and an explanation. So he says, have I not chosen you? He says that in verse 70, have I not chosen you? And he was expressing his pleasure in Simon Peter recognizing who he was. But he was also giving an explanation of how Simon Peter could ever figure out who he was. He said, you know who I am because I have chosen you. 
Earlier in this passage, in verse 65, as many disciples were walking away, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Now, we come up against here this mystery of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. That we are responsible to consider the message of Christ and come to it. We're responsible to stay in that message of Christ and continue to believe it. And yet God is in divine sovereign control over who comes to him and stays beside him. Now that's the fodder for a lot of late night debates. But we need to do more than simply debate this truth. If we look into this truth of God's divine sovereign control, not only drawing us into salvation, but keeping us within it, it's going to result in reassurance it is going to result in joy. It's going to result in humility. It's going to result in prayer. Look at this on your notes. It should result in reassurance. If I believe that God is in charge of drawing me to himself and keeping me beside himself, I am reassured. I want you to know that if, sal if salvation was exclusively up to me, my wits, my smarts, my self-discipline, my decision to come to Jesus and stick with him. If that's the case, I'm in trouble, and you are too. <laughs> but if salvation is a matter of God drawing us to himself and keeping us beside himself, if it's not just my grip on God's hand, but his grip on my hand that keeps me, then I can have great reassurance. Second, it's a result in humility. Humility. You know, if I think that salvation is, my salvation is the result of me thinking through things intellectually and drawing some conclusions, and I'm smarter than you are, and I'm more moral than you are, and I'm, I'm God's favorite because, you know, I figured all this out and you haven't, of course that's going to result in pride. But if I recognize that it's God who came knocking on the door of my heart, it's God who called out to me. It's God who keeps me to himself right now. It's God who continues to open up my heart and my mind to get greater and greater insights and develop greater and greater spiritual maturity. If I recognize that, then it's going to result in humility. And, and I'm going to see other people who, who don't get it yet or haven't grasped it yet, and I'm going to, I'm going to respond to them with uh, forbearance and, and patience and continued prayer because it wasn't up ultimately to me, and, and, and so I can approach them with humility. And the third thing that is, is we focus on this reality that we see in this passage, that, that no one comes to the Father, or no one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him. If, if that's true, then it can result in genuine prayer. Uh, why pray if it's exclusively entirely up to each of us? So all we need to do is give somebody a book with a really strong persuasive argument in it, and that's good. But we are told over and over again to pray for those who are lost, to pray for those who are far from God. Why? Because God is great and God is good, as our first childhood prayer taught us. And the king can draw people to himself and the king can draw people back to himself. And our job, therefore, if we have somebody that, we, that, that doesn't believe or no longer believes, is to pray to the king on their behalf. All of these things result when we understand what this passage is teaching, that God is in sovereign control over those who are being drawn to him and those who stay with him. 
Now, there's a balance. Like I said, you know, we need to understand that it is divine sovereign control and human responsibility that is going on at the same time. It's not one or, one or the other. It's, it's not either or. It's both and. Uh, we find this so many times in the Scripture that there's this intersection between human responsibility and divine sovereign control. For example, in the one-chapter book of Jude, we see this right there at the end of the book of Jude. In verses 20 and 21, we read, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love. But immediately after, Jude lifts up a benediction to God. And he says in verses 24 and 25, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Did you see the word keep? It shows up twice, doesn't it? We are told in this passage that we are to keep ourselves in God's love. And this passage says that we come to one who is able to keep us by his side. So which one is it? Do we keep ourselves in God's love or does he keep us beside him? The answer is, according to the Bible, yes. It's both. And we need to grasp that truth. Now I think that's what Robert Robinson concluded. I, I told you at the start of this sermon about a 260-year-old song that, uh, that he wrote called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. and wrote it as a 22-year-old. A song so honest about our vulnerability and our spiritual weakness. What you may not know is that the man who wrote that as a 22-year-old suffered a crisis of faith as a 54-year-old. Uh, he became attracted to the enlightenment skepticism of brilliant men like Joseph Priestley. And his biography gets a little fuzzy, a little foggy at this point. Some people say that he lost his faith and died. Others say, no, he lost his faith but regained it before he died. And others, and I'm, I tend to believe that this is the way it is, others say that he never ultimately gave in to that skepticism that proved so attractive to him as a 54-year-old. I think as a 54-year-old, he applied the same practices he sang as a 22-year-old because the stanza that I quoted to you at the beginning of the sermon begins like this, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. But he concluded that stanza by saying, here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And that's what we need to do as well. Robinson was saying, I don't trust my own ability to protect my heart, my faith, Lord. I give it to you. Please take it and seal it away safely. In the words of the book of Jude, he decided to keep himself in the one who could keep himself. I want to invite you to come or to come back to the one that Simon Peter declared was the Holy One of God. He is for you and he is for your good. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Tom Goodman continues through the Gospel of John. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.